You're listening to Netcare Pulse. Keeping up to date on all things critical. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Netcare Pulse. I'm Yveka Rangapa, and my special guest today is Gabriella Curry. She's an occupational therapist specializing in oncology rehab and very big word, lymphedemia therapy at the Netcare Mill Park Breast Care Center of Excellence. And we're going to hear all about what this important work and all this that sounds so important. Uh, Gabby, can I call you Gabby? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Hi, Gabby. Thank you guys so for having me. So let's talk all about what it is you do here at the Mill Park Breast Care Center of Excellence because it seems like you do a lot. This um, sounds like a big list of things to do. Um, do you actually go home or do you sleep here? No, I'm not as bad as Prof. So Prof, prof <laughs> Ben is the one that ben. switches on and switches the lights off, but we all function because of her. So okay. uh, it's a multidisciplinary team that we have here. And um, from diagnosis, the patients come into contact with uh, different departments depending on what the needs of the patient are. Um, so I think let's start it at diagnosis. Yes, please. Let's start at diagnosis because I spoke with Prof Ben about mm. it. He said you walk in here and you think you've walked into a spa. <laughs> and apparently I'm having a facial before I leave. <laughs> so if I were yeah. to be diagnosed at some point, I mean, this place would be an absolute place of comfort mm. for me, despite having to go through the obvious things that have to be done. But I love the holistic view mm-hmm. that has been taken from what I've heard from Prof Ben. Uh, but let's talk about what you do and where you fit in. So sure. Hypothetically, I'm diagnosed, there's a lump, I've got breast cancer. What happens from that point when I walk in here? You're coming in, depending on where you've been before, Prof will organize for patients to have imaging and so forth so that it's not just a thumb suck diagnosis. Um, We need to know what's going on internally. And then from there, as Prof mentioned uh, previously, we are an MDT. So she will present the patient to a panel of different doctors. I'm also on the meeting. We have pathologists and so forth. And it's then determined based on the pathology of uh, imaging and biopsies what happens to the patient, like primary treatment. Okay. So in some instances where the cancers are low-grade or restricted to one area, they're in situ, those patients are then given primary surgery as their treatment. If the cancer has spread past that or it's a little bit more aggressive, those are the patients that go for chemo first. Okay. So my role is then to implement something called prehabilitation. Now prehabilitation. Prehabilitation, right. yeah. <laughs> Based on the essence of prevention is better than cure. So in the rehab world as a whole, we are now looking at early intervention as opposed to fixing the problem once it is there. Yeah, yeah. So at diagnosis, it's a service that's offered for the patients to come through, and we basically get a baseline functioning of what the patient can do there and then before any treatment has started. So we get a holistic view of how the patient functions in terms of endurance, muscle strength. Mm. Um, We take measurements of their limb because I'll touch on something later Mm. about lymphedema. Mm. And then most importantly, the aim of prehab is to increase what we call functional tolerance. So we increase the patient's ability to withstand side effects of whatever the treatment is. Okay. So at what point then would you realize Mm. or would you figure out what kind of treatment they actually need, need. and then, yeah, de- so depending on, on their sort of body condition, if sure, I know, sure, use that sure. common term. So that's that completely based off the uh, imaging and the pathology. Remember, cancer is a very specific science and how they treat it is a very specific science. So based off of that on things like grade of the cancer, stage of the cancer, mm. that then determines the primary treatment that's needed. And that, of course, comes from Prof. Ben and the panel of doctors mm. thereof. Okay, so it's not always a case of, mis- of a mastectomy or partial. No, no. Uh, that's not, it, it, that may not always be the, yes. the answer to all of this. Correct. Um, just tell us about mm. the various treatments that there are sure, you know, for, sure. for, for what you find, what you've experienced, including 
what we've okay. just spoken about. So you've got your systemic chemotherapy, which is the drip chemo that we kind of see in the movies and yeah. so forth. And there are various different regimes of that. And that's obviously determined by the oncologist, how many sessions the patients need and the specific regime of chemo. I can just imagine chemo. what that room looks yeah, like. It no, probably has like music and oh, snacks gosh, no. and, <laughs> yeah, and foot massages while you're having your chemo. Uh, in, yeah, in, in theory, that would be amazing. But in reality, it's a little bit more kind of come in, get your treatment and, yeah, and get home yeah. as soon as possible. Then you've got your surgery option. So we are fortunate enough to have a plastic surgery or recon team part of okay. the breast care center. And it's included as a primary breast care. So Does that often, sorry to interrupt you no. there, but at that point, just mm. a thought, because uh, I had a friend who had breast cancer yeah. and then she had her reconstruction at the same time while Correct. she was on the table. Correct. So th- is, is that something that happens here? Well, the data is showing that it's, it's better to do that at the yeah. time than have the patient come in at a later stage. Is it different know? for different people though? Absolutely. Some of them might Absolutely. be able to handle it based on what you figured out before what their body can handle. Correct, correct. Am I right? More yeah. than what type of treatment is up and coming after that and yeah. if the patient is equipped to have the recon done there and then or not. But most of our patients have the recon done there and then at the same time. Okay. So Prof is a very, she's a surgeon who doesn't like surgery, to, to put it best. She believes that less is more. And yes, we see she that. did mention that. Yeah. Yes, she's very passionate about that. So uh, years ago, there was the double mastectomy, no recon, no. Uh, pull out all the lymph nodes, and, and that would prevent the cancer from coming back. Obviously, through time and through research, they know that that's not the case anymore. Having a lumpectomy, which is basically removing the cancer and reconstructing the breast or what's left of the breast tissue, is just as effective as a mastectomy. Mm. Having a mastectomy does not rule out the possibility of the cancer occurring. Um, As a lot of patients are misinformed that it is. A lot of patients often ask, if I have the mastectomy, can I rule out other treatments like chemo or radiation? Unfortunately not. Um, One treatment cannot outweigh the Mm. other Mm. or or replace the other, in fact. And how do you support them through all of that? Because I, Mm. I can only imagine what somebody goes through emotionally and mm. not only them, those around them as well. Correct. And I know your job is is, is sort of the, the therapy part mm. of things, but you also play shrink, you play psychologist, you play <laughs> therapist at the same time. And in, in, yeah. in addition to all these yeah. other important titles you have here. <laughs> so look, I, I can't take all the credit. We do have a navigation team at the breast care center. And I mean, their job is basically in the title to navigate the patients. So from diagnosis, they are the ones that then contact and explain what imaging needs to happen and why. If they need to go and see an oncologist first, they will do the referral Mm. process and explain thereof. They give feedback sometimes as to what decisions have been made regarding treatment, and they do a lot of the counseling with it. So you do have that psychological support. Um, We also, like I mentioned, part of the MDT, we have psychologists on board, um, we have counselors on board. So if we feel it's too much for us to handle, we then reach out to the professionals and they then take the reins for the patient. But it's like you say, it's not just the patient going through it. Absolutely. It's family, it's support system. And oftentimes we see they take more strain than the patient themselves mm. because they can't do anything. Yeah. The patient has to do the treatment regardless. So we make it of top tier importance that the family is involved and they are allowed in all the consults. Yes. Do they come here? Can they, they come, come and be absolutely. part of the therapy? We all have, what, we what all, you do? Yeah, we all have open door policies. So if the patient is comfortable with it, spouses come in, children come in, parents come in, and then they get the explanation and they get the opportunity to mm. ask questions as well, which is important. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's during treatment? Correct. That's what happens? These are, that's what you offer? Yes. Post-treatment, uh, mm. post, you know, sort of uh, support, uh, sure. what, what happens So there? our survivorship group. So we Often find, we often find survivorship is actually the time where patients are kind of like, what next? You know, I've had my treatments. I've been for my consults 
do I just live now? So that's kind of when the most support is needed. Um, and that's but there's patients, also an element of fear that, that lingers, am I right, correct. afterwards, post-treatment. The, the like you said, there's, there's no yeah. guarantee. No, that's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. And I think the old saying that time heals everything and the more time you put between an experience, the more comfortable you are that I'm okay. Mm. But the patients definitely need that support in that period. So we do. We're here for counseling. They're welcome to come in and see me again. I offer post-treatment exercise programs, lifestyle programs, and then from there, refer them to a diet if, if must, needed. That must be a bit difficult. Yeah. The exa- the, I mean, you've got to have a lot of patience for that. Yeah. I, would Im- I mean, patience. No. Part of the time. <laughs> you've got to have a lot of patience with your patients um, and your survivors yeah. because, you know, often people mm. go through all kinds of slumps. Mm. The body is not... Uh, responding the way it should or yeah. it's not ready yet. Just tell us about some of the challenges so, you face with that. You know, you hit the uh, nail Abby. on the head. That's the biggest thing is that mentally patients are in the right state of mind. They're done with treatment. They're ready to go with life, but their body's lagging. Mm. Um, remember, most of your treatments like your chemo, your radiation is accumulative in nature. So when you're done with the treatment, you may still be dealing with some of the side effects in the months to follow. So that is the biggest thing, just reassuring the patients that be patient with your body yeah. and you will get there. Some medical professionals speak about a new normal after treatment. I don't like that term. I like the patients to strive and achieve to what they were before. And that's why it's so important to have the prehab elements because we can go back and look and say, look, you were able to do A, B, and C. Let's work slowly towards getting to that point again. And especially with those people who were very active before that. Absolutely. And especially our youngsters, it's quite frustrating because they... How young? I mean, if you can, without disclosing your your, your youngest patient... um, the youngest patient I've come across is 26. Okay. So it ranges from 26. We've had a patient in her 90s. And, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it affects all, all women. And I think that's also quite an important message to take away is that you could never be too young. Mm. And um, if there is a family history, if there is high risk, then you go for your checkups as prescribed. I mean, you, you speak of the 90-year-old and a thought just popped <laughs> into my head, Gabby. And I wonder, you know, often people say, and I've had family members mm. and, who, who've had cancer at, at very late stages. And, and they sure. go like, oh, what is the point of treatment? Why? I'm 80-something now, you know. Is there going to be any point the last years of my mm. life? Do I really want to go through all of this or should I just be present and be yeah. with my family for however long that's left? And I'm sure you, you do get that question Absolutely. a lot. Yeah? But we also are cognizant of that. I mean, we're not going to pump a 90-year-old with systemic chemo and watch them yeah. get so sick. I mean, when you're at that age already, your cells are dividing at a much slower rate as a person in their 30s mm. or 40s. So often what happens then is if it's applicable for the patient, they'll get like an endocrine treatment or a hormone blocker which is a targeted treatment. And then if it's responding, if the cancer is responding well to that, that will kind of be baseline. If there's a need for surgical intervention, obviously prof weighs up things like comorbidities, uh, cardiac health of the patients, and then they take it from there. Okay, so then you decide yeah. then. But you're right. There are a lot of patients at that age and stage of life that just kind of say, thank you, I'll monitor it. I'm, I'm happy to just live as is. And do you try and convince them or you go, okay, that's what Sure, but as long as they understand the risk of not doing treatment, I think that's the biggest thing. Mm. We can't force our patients to do anything, but as long as they're getting the holistic picture of doing treatment or not and they understand the risks of doing the And how many have surprised not. you? How many have bounced back at the age of 90? Ah, so... <laughs> The, the oldies are my favorite because they're the, so positive. Yeah. yeah. I hope they don't hear you <laughs> yeah. saying that. No. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean it with all respect. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're so positive and they've lived a whole life and they've ac- actually... Like, oh, what have I got to yeah. lose? Well, that's the thing. They have uh, no filters. So they say it how it is. And it's, it's often quite a, a comical session, yeah, which is yeah. great. Oh, that's great. Um, or telling a 90-year-old they need to start exercising. They're like, just laugh in your face, you know? <laughs> like, yes, of course. Yeah. I will just like, you know, wine glass up, wine glass yeah. down. Wine glass up, there wine glass go. down. There we go. You're getting that advice. Yeah, that's yeah. that advice. Yeah. Like, and and, and the, the, the support system, mm. again, for those that come around, that, that sure. live around the survivors as well. That also, I mean, because you're not just teaching one person, you're sometimes teaching a family of five how to deal with that one person. Correct. Is it an effort? It is. It's a yeah. team effort. Yeah. It is. And often in my sessions in particular, I say to the patients, please bring family members in because I often prescribe home programs that the patients then have to do every day. And it's nice to have an extra pair of ears and eyes. Mm. They're picking up the information and they're going to make sure that it's carried on at home. But if there is something like a manual lymph drainage, if a patient has a lymphedema, for example, mm. it's really nice to get the family members involved so that they are number one, checking up that the patient is compliant. But number two, also if they implement it themselves, then they feel like they're having a hand in helping their family member or helping their friend get to the finish line. you have spies at home to report back to you. Okay. Absolutely. Now, I know you want to talk about the lymphedemia, which is you're very passionate about. Okay. Firstly, what is it? I I know lymph lymph drainage. I I know that much. In the context of breast cancer cancer. treatment. Okay. So lymphedema is a chronic swelling that occurs in a limb where there has been dysfunction to the lymphatic system. Okay, now your lymphedema is different to like generalized oedema. It's chronic. Okay. Okay. In the context of breast cancer, what happens with our surgical patients is when they remove a solid tumor, like a breast yeah. tumor, they will always remove lymph nodes that that tumor is draining to, to check if there's been spread or not. Okay. okay. So purpose of your lymphatic system is to, on a, a microscopic level, basically filter everything that moves through your body. Yeah. And they, your lymphatic system is first line of defense. So it will detect if there's a virus or bacteria or a foreign body, and then it alerts your immune system to kick in. So best example is if you've ever had a sore throat Mm. and you can't swallow. These are lymph nodes that have picked up an upper respiratory and have now triggered that immune response. Now that you mentioned it, I feel like I have one. (laughs) Sorry. Mm. Um, So that is why they check. I mean, cancer cannot move from one breast to the other. It moves through the lymphatic system. Okay. Now, years ago, and unfortunately, some other surgeons still practice this method. When they were removing the breast tumors, they would do something called an auxiliary clearance. So they would make an incision in the underarm and pull out all the lymph nodes they saw, whether they were healthy or not. That sounds so painful. And it was really horrible. So it left a massive gap in this filtration network, in the system, and there was no place for drainage to happen in the body. So what happened to those patients was plasma would basically seep backwards and start to collect inside the tissue of the arm and build up as lymphatic fluid. Now that is lymphedema. Yeah. Okay. So... We don't see it as commonly in the breast care center anymore because Prof is very lymph node sparing. Her surgical procedure involves putting a marker of where the tumor is and then a dye, and the dye lights it up for Prof. So she can then see where that tumor is draining to, which nodes look suspicious or not. Exactly, exactly. Like a tracker? Correct. I've never seen Prof take out more than what she needs. She never removes more than five lymph nodes, which doesn't put the patients at risk of lymphedema. But essentially, once you've had a node removed, you're in a stage zero which means there may be difficulty in lymphatic transportation. Okay, like you've so, created a roadblock. Correct. If I have to put it but in terms, your yeah. stage zero, there's really no clinical symptoms. You can. The point is we want our patients to be in a stage zero for life. Yeah. So post-surgery, they come for a consult and we discuss lymphedema presentations and how to prevent. We don't want our patients to be slapped with another chronic condition yeah. after they've just gone through this traumatic ordeal. Okay. And again, it's the whole essence of prevention is better than cure. 
So one of the biggest misconceptions with lymphedema is that once it's there, it's there. Unfortunately, yes, it is chronic, but there is treatment. So would we call that a side effect? Correct. Of, of or a secondary condition. A secondary, secondary condition. condition. Yeah. And, but it doesn't have to be. You said it's chronic, no, no. but it doesn't It doesn't need to get to that if stage. If it sets Correct. In, it's chronic. Correct. Okay. So if we maintain our patients in a stage zero, they live a normal life. There's yeah. no swelling. There's no dysfunction. But if it progresses to a stage one, stage two, stage three, it is then chronic in the nature. What are the signs of lymphedema? So your stage one is fluctuating swelling. So your arm may get big during the day, but let's say you get in bed at night and you elevated, mm. that swelling is going to come down. Your stage two is when you start to get what we call a pitting oedema. So when you push into the skin, it basically doesn't rebound. Back. It stays like, uh, like a little dimple. Okay. And then your stage three, your really severe stages is when there is skin discoloration and there's fibrotic depositions under the skin and the arm becomes quite quite dense and quite mm. hard. But those are your really severe cases. We, we hardly see that yeah. anymore yeah. at the breast care center. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds very, very scary. But I'm <laughs> glad. Is, I'm glad is. that you guys have figured out a way yeah. to prevent yeah. that as much as possible. Absolutely. I mean, have there been cases where it was totally there was Just nothing sporadic. you could do about it? Yeah. Um, so, in some of the cases where the patients have high dose radiation or long term radiation, they definitely are more at risk of developing the lymphedema. Um, our elderly patients, our overweight patients, and our mm. smokers. Oh. So we have had cases where it has triggered and the patient has kind of left it, come back, and then it's a stage two. I've got one patient like that at the moment and she's doing well she's in compression she's coming for manual lymph drainage we have the arm down to its normal measurement but she unfortunately has to be in that compression for the rest of her life so she'll have to you be seeing her for a long time correct but it becomes maintenance she'll come every month every second month as long as she's compliant with the garment she'll she'll be good yeah and at what point do you say to a patient Mm -hmm. okay Okay, we don't need to see you again now. Or, or, or I mean, it sounds like you become part of the family. But yeah. Everything I've heard from you and Prof Ben is is that this is becomes a secondary family Correct. to all of your survivors. I'm going to call them that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, they have to come back. How often would one need to come back and do a check? Is it annual? Is it mm-hmm. six months? When so it depends on where they are in the treatment process. Initially, it's every six months. Once a patient reaches a five-year mark of being, it's an old term called remission, but essentially no detection of cancer, mm-hmm. they then can come yearly. But it's completely based on what Prof Ben wants, what their physician wants, and what they feel is best. Obviously, over-imaging is not good for, for the body either. Yeah. So they try to limit it to twice a year, every six months, and then okay. it eventually becomes annually. annually. Yeah. And in terms of lifestyle changes, I'm mm-hmm. sure that many of your survivors have to make some lifestyle changes That's uh, and how well do they take to that what are, what are your challenges there because uh, you know yeah challenges sometimes. is a good word <laughs> yeah what are your challenges there just say it say it gabby say it ah uh, so yeah. it's it's dependent on the person and the personality yeah. your a-type personalities want to know exactly what caused the cancer and they then go into a bit of an overdrive and they'll examine diet stress lifestyle exercise um there's other patients who are just like ah oh, it happened and i'm going to continue and just leave it to the odds i think there's value in finding a balance between the two Biggest thing is exercise. So it's one of the most underprescribed and underrated forms of treatment. Also, the, I suppose when you have treatment and you mm, feel low mm, and you feel weak to get back up and look for any of us yeah. at the best of times to get your oh, butt to 100%. the gym is another story. Yeah. For somebody who's been through this, I can imagine it's, it's more. It's, it's, harder. Yeah, it's harder. It is. But look, statistics are now showing that exercise post-diagnosis reduces your chance of recurrence by 32%. So it's high enough when we give the patients that statistic, it's high enough that they want to start doing something. This is even before treatment post-diagnosis yes, yes. Wow, so okay, post-diagnosis okay. and then also um, obviously survivorship we're discussing now yeah 
But once we get in that statistic, it's enough for them to want to do something. And there's no one size fits all. So it's no point in saying to a patient, okay, you're going to start doing HIIT training and boxing twice a week if they've never done exercise in yeah, their lives. Yeah. If it means walking three times a week, that's fantastic. So that is where it's nice where we have the personal touch of the patients coming in and then making the individualized programs for them. It ensures follow through and it ensures buy-in. And I hear that you are, you do have somebody mm-hmm. in-house Correct. who is, yes. who, and um, does something similar to, or, or it, yes. it is EMS, EMS training. So it's, yes, yes. yeah. So it's Which the helps. EMS suits and they yeah. put, it's, and I mean, it's low intensity for the patients. Yeah. So especially like our survivorship group. A lot and it's of, like 20 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, so you don't quick. have to sweat 45 minutes <laughs> at the gym. Do it in That's 20 minutes, true. you just stand there and hold the pose. I've Isn't done the EMS training. It's all about yeah. convenience yes. now. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. So you stand there and let the machine do the work for you. So you do exercise <laughs> no, while I know. you're doing I mean, You do the lunges, yeah, yeah, you do yeah. the crunches. You've done it before? I've done it. Okay, good, good. So, so that's great. So, yeah. so they have that option yes, as well. So you guys yes. are also keeping up to date in terms of technology. Absolutely. Yeah? No, we have to. And like you said, it's about convenience for the patient. And if we're going to tell them they need to exercise, it's got to fit into their really busy schedule as is. So oh, okay. telling them that we offer the body tech here and the EMS here, a lot of the you patients see, are like, yes, please. I'm yeah. going to have my facial and I'm going to have my body tech before I oh leave. Oh my gosh. That's my exercise and get your nails done. I get my nail bar. Well, okay, yes, I think oh, I need a touch-up. Okay. No, 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 I need a touch-up. <laughs> oh, Gabby, it's been wonderful. Thank your you. job sounds amazing. It, it sounds like you're very fulfilled by it yeah, as well. Absolutely. I can see that you're you're happy mm-hmm. uh, helping. This yeah. is your calling. Meet the absolutely. most amazing patients through my work. So it is every day is a blessing to get to be here. Absolutely. I mean, with all... All of this occupational therapist specializing in oncology rehab and lymphedemia, which I learned so much about lymphedemia therapy. It is, I don't know where you find time to rest. You can see that you're passionate about your work as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Uh, Thank you Gabriella so much. Cooley. Thanks for your time. Thank you. That was NetCare Pulse. Keeping up to date on all things critical. Subscribe now.